0: Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori, and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best
1: things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that
0: exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. All right, and welcome back to the Turned On podcast. I'm your host, David Nori. Now, that being said, my friends, my life has been a journey, and I'm sure all of you listening, you've been on a journey. There's things that have happened in your life that you're like, "Wow, thank God I got past that," or maybe you're in something right now, something that is uh, on your spirit in terms of, you know, a stronghold. And if you don't know what a stronghold is, a stronghold is, is is something that just keeps calling you back. It's something that it's like a door in your life that you want to close, and and it keeps opening. And it's what's keeping you from maybe your your relationship with God. It's what's keeping you maybe from a relationship with your spouse or a significant other. It's it could be a, a number of different things. And early on in my in my kind of journey, my faith journey, someone told me that look you know that door can be open and and you close it and if you're not constantly manning that door and you're not aware of it then strongholds creep back into your life and one of my favorite things to examine in the faith journey here at turned on i love hearing stories about people who felt like there was no hope how many of you guys have felt that way how many of you guys have felt like Nobody understands this situation. How many of you guys have ever hidden something? How many of you out there have ever thought, "Man, if anybody really knew what was going on in my life or in my head, they would not want to have anything to do with me." They would, they would, they would be like, "Wow!" And so, part of my own story is is telling those things, and you realize that if we're not honest with ourselves first of all, and our relationship with God, and then we're not honest with other people. Um, how are we going to help people? And so what I want to talk about is those stories. I love bringing those stories about people who overcame. And and my favorite one in the Bible is, is certainly, you know, the biggest redemption story was a guy named Saul who, geez, you would think he'd be the last person to ever carry the word of God and, and do such a fantastic job of spreading the gospel. But here he was, and Saul became Paul. If you don't know that story— um, it's one of the most amazing transformations that you'll ever hear, and so, in the spirit of transformation, in the spirit of of really speaking to people out there in our audience today, I'm gonna to tell you this we got a story right now that's it's heavy it's he- it's heavy yeah <laughs> it's heavy uh I've known this gentleman that I'm gonna bring on here for quite a while. We've had some pretty strong conversations, but uh, he just came out with a book. And when I read the book, I'm like, okay, that's, that was even, it's, it's heavy for me. So I'm going to put like a little asterisk and say like, this is some mature stuff. And, and <laughs> <laughs> here he is. Um, it's, <laughs> I'm <sorry>. it's okay. <laughs> I'm setting it up because uh, I'll tell you in a second, my man, but it grabbed me. I've been through a lot in my life. Um, I'm no stranger to seeing some crazy stuff. I'm no stranger to to living, and I'm certainly no stranger to uh, finding my calling and redemption. But this was a big one. And, and so without any further ado, I'm going to bring a guy on here right now. Uh, his name is Joshua T. Berglund. He is the the chairman and founder of Live Mana Worldwide. He is a producer. He's a filmmaker. He's an author. He, he does so many different things. What I love about him is him and his wife – have really wanted to make a huge difference in the world and what they do is they have ministry, a ministry and I'll let him talk a little bit about that but basically what they want to do is they provide food and clothing and fellowship and other resources to to the to the needy in their in their ministry and his gratitude unfiltered is for those who understand or maybe need to help understand the the extreme hell that it can be to be involved in sex addiction drug addiction alcohol addiction love addiction co codependency um, homelessness <laughs> hiv mental illness anxiety uh, rage abuse there's there's so much we're going to get to but let me bring him on joshua i hear you giggling and I, and i know we're going to talk about this but how are you brother <laughs>
1: You know, it's funny we're hearing you talk about all that, it's like that was me. That was my life. And it and I'm so far removed from that life now by the grace of God and my relationship with Jesus that every time I hear this stuff, it's like I cannot believe that was me. And I wouldn't believe it was me if I didn't have the scars to prove it. Um but I'm wonderful, man. I again, by the grace of God, I am living the life I always dreamed of, and I mean that literally.
0: Yeah. We're going to unpack that. So you, you said scars, and I always like to relate this to the listeners. So someone once told me, you know, a scar is there. It's a reminder kind of of, of what we've been through. And and you can look at a scar as something as ugly, or uh, you can look at a scar as something, that, hey, you know what? I survived that. Um, and so you survived some stuff, haven't you?
1: I have. I have. I, I survived myself. <laughs> that For all of the uh, things that happened to me, that I can honestly look at now and say it happened for me. I would say that most of the trauma that happened in my life was self-inflicted.
0: Well, I I think a lot of people relate to that because we have choices every day and we'd like to think that, hey, it's not my fault. Hey, somebody else made me do this. And look, some of us have real reasons for doing the thing. There are some dark places that people go to and, and that's why we have these stories that mean so much. So again, I'll set it up for anybody out there listening, whatever you're going through, big or small, realize that a a sin is a sin, but um, redemption is redemption and anything can be overcome. So whether you're just struggling a little bit or you're in the depths of something, whatever it is to you, that's the big thing. Whatever is holding you back from your happiness, whatever's holding you back from your relationship with your maker, you're gonna wanna hear this. So we always like to ask our guests, what was your turned on moment? In other words, Joshua, when did something just switch for you? If you can give us that insight into that moment of your life.
1: Yeah, this is actually my favorite story um, ever. And I'll, I'll, I'll keep it brief because it's a pretty long story, but I'll keep it brief. I was in a—it was in L.A. County Jail. I was in isolation because I told the guards, or not the guards, but as I was being booked, I told them that I had HIV. And the only reason I told them that is because I thought it would give me special privileges and it would keep me out of general population. And uh, sure enough, I was right. <clears throat> they kept me out of general population, but they put me in isolation in the psych ward. And um, and I'm still fumed, like just flying high off of, I think I did two eight balls that night. I had a bottle of tequila up to that point of being arrested. And so I'm still... You know just again completely out of my brain the first 24 hours that i was there and as the cocaine and the alcohol started to wear off uh, i all i could hear were the maddening screams of the people next to me i couldn't see them but i could hear them and it was absolute hell i had not, i had no way to distract myself i hated it i was begging the guards for something to read They wouldn't give me anything to read. I'm like, what the heck am I gonna do with like I can't how am I gonna pass the time? You can only do so many push ups and sit ups in a day. I even I I literally to pass the time and considered masturbating. Like I was like, how do I make time go? And nothing that would not there was no way to distract myself. And finally, for some reason, I remember I think I saw it in Oz, that prison show that used to be on HBO. Oh yeah, Oh, they have to give me a Bible. And so I, I asked for a Bible and the guard goes okay, I'll be right back. Well, in jail, that means see you in several hours. Anyways, I'm waiting, freaking out. I'm losing my mind. They finally show up with the Bible. And I was reading Genesis and I'm like, this is <laughs> this is a, the dumbest thing I've ever read. Like, this isn't real. This is a, you know, and it just, none of it made sense. Then I went to Revelation and reading Revelation. That's a horrible thing to read in jail, especially as you're losing your mind. So I was like, this is horrible. But then I went to Proverbs and I started reading Proverbs and like Proverbs is really easy to digest, especially in the King James version. And I'm reading it and I'm like, I'm doing that wrong. I'm doing that wrong. I'm really doing that wrong. And then I remember a guy that I had partied with growing up, had been arrested with a few times. Um, A guy I went to high school with that was now a pastor and his name is John. So I thought of John. So I went to the book of John and I started reading the book of John and all of a sudden, Jesus started to become very real for me. What he did for me, what he did for us, became very, very real. So I'm reading John, and uh, you know it's it's breaking me down. I'm starting to cry, and then all of a sudden, I just get this fury that just bursts through me, and I start cursing at God, screaming bloody murder at God. Why won't you fix me? Why won't you change me like everybody else? And for the very first time in my life, I heard God speak and he said, you have to forgive your father. Well, how in the beep am I supposed to do that? Because it happened to him too. Those words helped me not only understand that you know, My father learned it from somewhere. And not only had I become like my father, but I, became, I was worse than my father. All the things that I hated my dad for, I was doing but worse. And so for the very first time in my life, I had compassion for my father. The man that I showed up an hour late to his funeral because I was doing blow and having sex with strangers. Uh, my girlfriend and I at the time were you know literally having a, a sex fest the night before his funeral. And I show up an hour late coming off blow, sweating through my, I'm just, I made a mockery of his funeral. Um, but I, I started, I, I, you know, for as much as I needed to forgive my father, I also understood that I needed forgiveness from my dad, my earthly father. Mm-hmm. And so I started begging my dad to forgive me because I had all of a sudden I had remorse. I felt bad for not being there for him as he was dying. And because I, mean, I literally just hated him that much. So as I realized that, as I started to ask for his for forgiveness, and as I forgave him, as I told him I understood, I then understood that now I needed to ask God, the Lord, to forgive me. And as I started screaming out to God, I'm done running. I know what you've called me to do. I've run my entire life. I'm, I, I surrender it all. My life is no, no longer my own. I surrender. I give it all to you. And even if I'm behind bars for the next five years, which was, is which I, I was facing five years for domestic uh, assault. This was my second charge for that. It was second time in jail of six um, were for domestic violence. And I said, even if I'm behind bars the next five years, I'll serve you. I will do everything that you called me to do. And I didn't know what that looked like, but I said, my will or your will be done. My life is no longer my own. I surrender. I give it all to you. I swear to you, man, I I can't. I'm trying to keep from crying because it's like literally this moment in my life was so profound and so supernatural that it made it impossible for me to ever deny Jesus. Because in that moment of surrender, it was like lightning struck me on the top of my head and <laughs> knocked me on my butt and then lifted me right off the ground. <sighs> and it was so supernatural. And that moment was like vibrating in my spine for minutes. And I knew something was different. It was, I knew that Josh was dead. I knew that Joshua was now alive. And I kid you not, man, I was dancing in the jail cell. I didn't know any Christian songs at all. I knew nothing, but I was just like, Jesus, 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 but I was free. My turned on moment was the, the minute that I decided to give up control. I tried to control everything. I tried to control my double life. I tried to control the double life within my double life. I tried to control all of the people around me so they would keep my secrets. I, that day I surrendered, that moment I surrendered, my life was different from that day forward. And it doesn't mean it got easier. Right. But that was when I literally got turned on.
0: Wow. That's a lot, Joshua. That is a lot. And there are so many things that stand out. Again, as I'm looking here, I'm thinking compassion, one of my favorite words. There's so much Mm. compassion. I'm looking at forgiveness, remorse, freedom. Uh, The supernatural, I think we go to that first. You know, as I was looking at your book— it says, you, you said, Jesus, you really did that for me, questioning that. Tell me about that point, because I think when we look at the word supernatural, if we take the resurrection out, then there, there really is nothing really supernatural. That is the part. That is the, the supernatural part. And so many people here on earth right now in 2021, they are wondering, well, where is that supernatural stuff that I read about in the Bible the fact of the matter is it's happening every day. It happened to you. There's no way, no way that that moment happens without something supernatural. And you you described it as a lightning bolt. So go back and say, Jesus, why did you really do that for me? What was going through your head then?
1: <laughs> I, you know, it was shock because I had grown up in church, man. We were that family that— We were the family that was in church Wednesday night, vacation Bible school, going to Sunday school, going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. We were that family. Yet at the same time, we're that family. But then behind closed doors, all hell was breaking loose. Then I heard about Jesus. I heard about the Bible. It never made sense to me. Mm -hmm. It didn't. None of it did. So it was like it was shock because how is it that I've heard this in church all my life and it never hits me. It ne- and I've I've had those moments at Falls Creek and other you know youth with those youth events, summer yeah. camps, and all that stuff where people are losing their virginity and but yep. then in, then giving their life to Jesus by raising their hand and because they get all caught up and their friends getting saved and then when they get home they're like, oh man, you mean I have to read the Bible to be a Christian or I have to do this and that? And it's like, I don't want to tell people I like Jesus. My life is going to suck. I mean, I just like I yeah. did those half, but given my life to Jesus moments, but none of it was ever real. Um, so I didn't even, I don't even know if I even believed it then. I think I was doing it to fit in. <laughs> so I just didn't believe it was real. I, I didn't, and none of it seemed like a made up story.
0: Yeah. I can relate. really so have
1: that moment of realization and clarity where all of a sudden the supernatural felt more real than the natural. Mm. That's not even an eye-opening experience. That's a heart-opening experience.
0: Oh, I like that. A heart-opening experience. And here's the thing, again, we have to realize that one of the things that people knock about Christianity is, and I talk about this all the time, there's so many different factions, you know, when when the church split and the Protestant movement came, then it, all these different factions. And here's what it comes down to. It, it comes down to going back to the cross right there. And what it comes down to is God calls the broken. And and, and the broken, look, if... if if all we heard about was stories about, you know, hey, I used to be a jaywalker or I used to I used to curse and now I don't anymore, that's not really that supernatural. But anyone who just listened to you unpack exactly where you were and the things you were doing, um, you don't go on a, on a, on a 180 um, without the supernatural healing. And the interesting part is I remember my story, and I'll relate it to yours because I want to relate it to anybody out there. We have experiences with often with religion when we are young. And, you know, we go to church and we are we are taught, but we're sometimes we're not shepherded. And I think once that happens, when you have a shepherd to explain these things to you or in a revelation like you got, sometimes it's just a revelation. You know, in my book, I say there are plenty of people that have been saved just by opening the Bible, just by randomly opening it and reading. But sometimes you open it like you did and you're like, Genesis, wow, you know, did... Did did Noah really live, you know, 900 years? Uh, that seems kind of far-fetched. Or Revelation, wow, that's a lot for me to unpack right now. Where's the good stuff? Um, we have to have somebody that puts this stuff in context. And for me, there's a lot of people who were church hurt. And I don't know if you've come into this, Joshua. I'm sure you've had people who were church hurt in their youth, and and they go away from it. I was what you would call church disappointed. I was a really good Catholic kid growing up, did all the sacraments, even went to Catholic mass all through my time in college. And then um, I started hanging around with the wrong people in my mid-20s. And there was a 10-year period there where, you know, all hell broke loose. And there was a couple of times where I'm like, I shouldn't be here. And, and then I had that same kind of, I had a revelation. Okay, let's, let's tell our, our, our listeners right now. I know people that have heard the audible voice of God. And for a lot of people, I was like, come on. Right, Joshua? Come on. You heard the audible voice. Give me a break, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Um, what was your voice? Was it audible? Was, you know, because God speaks to us through intuition. You you said he spoke to you. Can you describe that a little bit more in detail, what, what it was like?
1: Yeah, you know, because um, here's the thing. The way his voice vibrated in my spine it was almost like a megaphone was stuck up my butt or
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't explain that the voice. Cause it was like, as I was hearing it, cause normally we get a vision maybe, or a thought, or yep. we, you know, hear intuition speak to us. I have that all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm a visionary. Mm-hmm. Like that's my spiritual gift is I see what's possible and for people and what's, what's possible for brands and, you know, I get to see what's happening in the future, not like a psychic, it's not like that, but that God gives me visions of that. Yeah. I mean, this is how I've lived my life in faith, especially the last six years, is pursuing those visions and I've seen them all come to life, which is amazing. But that voice, I don't know if it was audible but that the prisoners could hear it. But I can tell you one thing, it vibrated in my spine, I could hear it in my ears, my brain. I've never heard his voice like that ever. Except for the month-long meth relapse that I had, you know, a couple years into my journey, um, walking with the Lord, when I just got frustrated with the process, and you know, just because you give your life to Jesus and you're radically changed, doesn't mean that you don't have more healing to do. Right. <laughs> it's, it's a, oh, that's a good point. A walk for a reason. That's a great um, point,
0: though. We're, we're going to have to, uh, yeah, we're going to have to go ahead because we're going to have to go back to that. But go ahead.
1: Yeah. So. For me, it was the the thing that stood out the most was literally feeling the lightning shoot through me and the vibration of my spine. I've never had that happen since. The only other time that I felt like I heard the audible voice of God was when I had the visitation. But that time, I could see him out of the corner of my eye,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and that, but then could still hear his voice because it it dramatically impacted. That To the point that I took his marching order serious, which was, you're going to put a spotlight on your shadow world. Yeah. You can't, you don't get to have any more secrets. You're going to share it all. You're going to show people the supernatural power of truth. Oof. And that's when Gratitude Unfiltered was born. Like that show, which you guys guest hosted yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, once a couple of times for me, which I love those episodes. Um, you know, that was, that's how Gratitude Unfiltered was born. And so I started exposing everything and I was already pretty bold. Right. But I was withholding a few things. Sure. And so now I just started putting literally if I made a mistake, if I goofed up, if I had a relapse, I just went on the air and talked about it, and all of that. And it made well, it made a little bit of sense because, you know, God said, if you want to, hey, do you want two hundred fifty million dollars in the bank? And I was like, well, heck, yeah, I do, (laughs) especially after being homeless. And he said, "Well, then, how's it going to feel to write fifteen million dollar checks to try to get people to be quiet and not share your secrets?" Yeah. He said, "Do you want to build your house on truth, or do you want to build it on quicksand?" And I was like, "Oof." And he used Charlie Sheen as an example. Mm. And and that, quite literally, because I have big dreams, a big vision, I, and I didn't want to experience any more loss. I remember what it was like going from being wealthy as you know, with my family and, and losing everything yeah. to my own independent wealth and losing everything. Like I didn't want to experience that again. So I took God serious. I took the marching order serious and I've been obedient to that ever since.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to go backwards a little bit and find out where this came from. But I think the the most important part there is you said, it's a walk. And um, mm-hmm. for anybody out there, there's a site called Iamsecond.com and it's a, if you haven't gone there, it's fantastic. And there's so many stories about uh, athletes, celebrities, musicians, and people that told about, just like Joshua's doing here, talk, talk about their walk um, and their turned-on moment kind of and their coming to Christ. Um, and there was one with the baseball player R.A. Dickey. And R.A. Dickey, if you, oh, it's, it's one of the most amazing stories. I mean, it, it is a TV movie, the ups and downs in this man's life. And he said something that I think you can relate to because – he said this, he goes, there was an expectation of instant healing because he had, come, he had come so many times and he had seen so many tragedies in his life. And then he had so much stuff that was, that was coming and he's like, oh, finally, God's favor is here. All, I can put all that other stuff behind me. And then, uh not so fast. And so for some people, that's when they lose faith. I'm like, well, you know, I thought this was it, and now I'm right back where I started from. It's like surfing, and you're paddling and paddling, and you're almost to that wave, and then a wave comes and hits you, and you're right back on the beach, and you're like, come on, man. So R.A. (laughs) Dickey said there was this expectation of instant healing, and when I didn't get that immediately, uh, um, you know, some people might have moved away, but it was the full surrender. He also mentioned, like, you and I believe in the full surrender. So the full surrender comes in love, with with your relationship with with another human being in terms of a uh, a marriage there has to be a surrender there certainly in your body with addiction and and then most importantly with your maker the surrender and the walk it is not like a TV movie like Rocky where you know you have a, an hour and a half to tell this story here he is getting his butt beat in and now he's holding the belt hey that's great we can all cry clap our hands and go to bed A walk with Jesus and a walk in surrender, my friends, is going to take some perseverance. God gives you the the ability to see what's happening, and he will meet you halfway. But I believe that we have to go there because I want you to talk about that. What is the expectation for anybody out there? And again, this is heavy stuff that we're talking about. Maybe you're dealing with something not as heavy but you have this expectation of instant healing and you're not ready for the walk
1: i think it starts at the pulpit with people that are going to church and they they have the raise your hand salvation i think that's where the expectation for people starts where you can be transformed like that (laughs)
0: like Mm -hmm.
1: you're set free and they make it sound like it's instantaneous yeah and yeah, your heart can change like that. However, your brain, <laughs> your brain has all the scabs, the cobwebs and all the voices. Um, the voices of despair and doubt, the voices of other people that have, you know, told you that you're always going to be a junkie and a piece of crap and a deadbeat and everything else. I committed to the relationship, not so much. I didn't call it the journey but I was committed to seeking a relationship because I always heard about putting God first in everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I tried it the other ways. I tried, I I was able to see from all of the other times that I tried to turn my life around and somebody would say, you're always going to be a junkie. You're always going to be an abuser. You're always going to be a, an AIDS dick, whatever. I mean, I just literally can, I can tell you all the names that I was called, even after giving my life to the Lord and being serious about it and in the past all those things were enough to go yeah you're right and i would be right back down yeah. face down in meth and everything else but i committed to a relationship uh-huh. and for some reason because i would tried it every other way that commitment to the relationship helped me weather a lot of storms i committed to being in the word of god to learning more about god and learning more about Jesus. And that part allowed me when the church, I expected, here's something else too. Those of you who have passed like me, <laughs> <laughs> if you really think, if you really think the church is going to open your, their arms to you, um, and, and just welcoming you with loving arms, it's, it's, it's a, don't hang your hat on that. Because sometimes that's enough to knock you off because it's the most disappointing thing in the world the church isn't ready for testimonies like mine there's a reason why i'm having the, the way we made our book and the movie we wrote it for the secular world to learn about jesus not the converted i didn't want to be next to a bunch of christian books in the bookstore i wanted to be next to the <laughs> everything else books because yeah. i'm not trying to go after the converted and and frankly i don't want to play the politics of the church because my testimony is dirty and my testimony makes people uncomfortable yeah that said my testimony i pray with everything in me that it shows people that they don't have to fear the truth and that's another thing too it, i don't even think most preachers understand the walk and the journey because if they did they wouldn't be keeping secrets of their affairs yeah. they would not keep secrets that they have a secret perversion because they haven't completely healed from it. I'm going to be straight up with you, man. I have DID, which is Dissociative Identity Disorder, which is also known as Multiple Personality Disorder. Medication made it worse for me. And even though, like even after giving my life to the Lord, one of the things that I figured out was I get to take each one of my altars on their own healing journey because each of my altars are very, very different. You've, you've met it. I mean, if you read, like in reading the book, you met some of my other personalities. When you see the movie, you can hear the other personalities come out because that's all very real for me. But each one of them, for instance, have different sexualities. Imagine my poor wife, (laughs) like they're, they're all different, right? Now I honor and I'm obedient to God's word, but it doesn't mean that I don't have to fight the temptations. And for 25 years, I was an addict of chemsex which is meth and sex or cocaine and sex, it, it, they went hand in hand for me. So for a long time, and here it is, I have the love of my life. God has restored everything I've lost. And yet I still struggle some days with my old self, with one of these altars wanting me to go off and yeah. and, 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 and have dive straight into the, the, the grave that I was delivered from. So I'm honest about it. So I'm not held back. Like the one thing I know about the devil, he didn't like the light very much. No, the the devil doesn't like it when you reveal your secrets and half the time when people are locked in their prisons and their little cages, it's because they're keeping secrets in the church, because there are pastors, they got to be perfect. And yeah, sure. When they're on stage, they say, well, we're all sinners and I fall short. You know what you saying? You fall short has no effect on anybody. Show people yeah. how what struggling is. And, and, and it's like when you put a light on your struggle or your affliction or your trauma or what you're battling with, when you take your spotlight, the light of the Lord, and you put it on there and you let it out for the people to see, guess what? You're trusting God with that secret to use for his glory and your good. And I'm not a victim to my past. I'm even my mess ups. I have so much freedom because I know that I can confess that publicly yeah. and God will use it. Because it, other people, there's other preachers, like those Hillsong people that are getting in trouble, they, they're, they, they have to keep up an act. Yeah. and act. So if you put a light on it, there's freedom in that. Yeah, and, and that's it, what I want my testimony to be an example of.
0: And you're right. It it hurts the body of Christ. It hurts the church when when they when these things come out and we because people automatically want to say oh look at this person that was supposed to be perfect and they're not and so the one thing i want to remind people of your your story is is courageous because look i will admit i'm going to tell you guys i grew up some of the stuff you talked about being in south beach i worked in south beach for 10 years i remember my my story changes because i went back and i said look a lot of people our church hurt, I was church disappointed, okay? Because my story isn't as heavy as yours, but I remember leaving a club in South Beach at 10 o'clock in the morning by myself and looking at families, and I heard God's voice say, you're chasing something, David, that you will never find. You are, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you are chasing some type of satisfaction, happiness. You're chasing something that you cannot find in a club. You're chasing something you can't find here. So I had to leave. I had to leave there, and I didn't have a relationship with God at that point. I had a religion, and I was—later on, I would say in my book, I'm church disappointed because once I was saved and once I learned how to read the Bible and I was shepherded and I realized what those stories meant, my God, I said, where was this? in the last 15 years when I needed it. But I, I I look back and say, that's okay, but you're right. The cover of your book is is alarming. If you look at Josh's, <laughs> the cover of his book is scary. When I told my wife that I read it and I said, look, this is heavy stuff. You know, like you, it, it should come with a warning. This is not for the lighthearted, but it is a story of redemption. And so much like you, I remember being in a place where, Before I was saved, I was hurt by a woman uh, just in a a breakup. You know, I was in my early 20s, my first major breakup, and I remember looking for something, and I remember bringing the Bible to work. This is a very, very vivid memory. I just brought the Bible to work. I'd never really read it or opened it, and I just looked through it kind of probably like you did and said, geez, there's a lot of stuff in here I don't understand. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I have these names I can't pronounce, these places, I can't put two and two together. I don't get it. And so I, too, went to Proverbs. And I remember reading Proverbs. It just made sense, and it gave me hope. So that's a great starting place. And yeah. and then, you know, later on, it was a journey. You know, when I left South Beach, I left the next day. I moved. I had to physically move away from the place where all my friends and all those influences were. And I moved, uh, you know, 250 miles away and it would like, like you said, I'd like to think, well, your story changed in a day. No, there was 10 years. It went from one vice to another vice. You know, it went from one thing that I was looking for, and then I I didn't do that anymore, but I went for another thing. And it it was the journey, and then my wife saved me. My wife saved me because she she told me about that chapter where, where Paul, right? We talked about Paul at the beginning, who was changed. He said, it's time to put your childish ways behind you it's time to become a man and and then you get saved and and so man when i became a father joshua if we're if we're relating this the story of being saved and and growing in love and the walk which you talked about earlier how it is a gradual walk sometimes a woman gives birth to a child and she has an instant connection cuz she's been carrying that child when my daughter appeared to me for the first time in that in that birthing room M- your life changes and i tell new dads this your life will change but sometimes you'll expect it to be like this overwhelming thing because you've waited for so long and sometimes you're like well i thought i was going to feel different or i thought i was automatically going to be different but your relationship with god the father is much like a relationship if you have chi- a, a child and you're a dad I've fallen in love with my daughter over and over again. There was a time when she was six months old. And I'm like, God, I couldn't love anything more than this. And then, you know, four months later, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm just falling in love with her on a whole new level. And then when she's two, I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm falling in love with my daughter again. I'm, I'm getting more attached to her in a deeper understanding of who she is and who, and what it means to be a father. And it's continuing. She's nine now and I'm falling in love with her all over again. And that relationship between a father and daughter a father and son is, is really like the relationship between our Heavenly Father and what we are. Is, it is a walk, and you will take time, and sometimes you, you can't have expectations of leaving all these strongholds because that's what you went through. That's what I went through. There are strongholds, and like we said, if there's a crack in the door, you think, oh, I closed that door oh, no, no, wait, there's a crack. Guess who's looking for that crack? It's yeah. it's the enemy. He knows that's your weakness. So if we go back, let's start off with this a little bit. I don't want to go too deep into it, but you and I love classic rock, correct? We have that love of oh, yeah. music. So there's a song by Pink Floyd, and it's called Comfortably Numb. Yeah. And when I say that title, Josh, what is, Joshua, what does that mean to you, Comfortably Numb?
1: Well, I mean, I think I, of course I was uncomfortably numb because there was nothing that was going to comfort the rage inside of me, but I see comfortably numb being something that the world pursues. Like for me, it doesn't necessarily ring true because my numbness, I couldn't, no matter how hard I tried, it was impossible to numb the pain that I had inflicted on myself and the pain that I was experiencing from just the the trauma that I dealt with as a kid. Um, so comfortably numb seems like an accomplishment (laughs) (laughs) through my eyes. But at the same time, numb is no way to live, man. I I, I gotta tell you that all of the things that hurt me and the biggest part that I've learned in my walk and my journey is the power of retraining triggers.
0: Yes. Talk about that. That's good stuff.
1: Well, cause so part of that was like every little thing, man, I, I learned to lie so much was I mean, at first it was to protect my abusers and to pre- protect my, my father from abusing us and, and all of that. But, you know, I, oh man, I learned to get comfortable I had to learn how to get comfortable with things not being okay and learning how to sit in whatever I was experiencing. And that took, it took three years in my walk to get to that place where I was comfortable being alone.
0: Okay. Let me, and- let, me, let, me let me, let me, let me, let me break that down for a second. Cause you just said something that really resonated with me. I had to sit and be alone. So mm-hmm. so much of the time when people go in, especially when, it's, when it comes to abuse of narcotics and alcohol, it's to numb something. And yeah. what happens is when we feel maybe our heart was broken or we lost a job or someone passed and we have this uneasy feeling. There's two choices. Well, I can numb this pain I'm feeling with narcotics or alcohol because I don't want to sit in it. I don't want to acknowledge it. One of the hardest things to do, and you have to explain this, break this down because you said it, is to sit in it and be like, I'm going to be in this uncomfortable state. I'm going to just sit here and I I can't be too quick to want to escape it because then I escape reality and I I escape the heaviness of this and I'll never come to battle it if my first inclination is to run and hide from it. So talk about sitting in it because I think that's important.
1: Well, yeah, because I had... Landmines all around me um, because I had so many triggers because there were so many different things that would spark my desire to abuse drugs and sex. And, but the other part of that was even joy. Like if I ever felt happiness, sometimes that was a trigger for me to want to abuse drugs and have sex because I looked at that as celebrating. So I had to learn. It was after I married somebody I didn't know. I was in a toxic relationship when I was in San Diego. Um, <laughs> and uh, I had a hard time breaking out of it. Even though I gave my life to the Lord, I was doing the work to heal and all of that. And she wasn't. Um, but I still couldn't leave the relationship because I was so codependent. I was dependent on her for survival. I didn't hadn't fully trusted God for my survival yet. Uh. So I ended up marrying somebody I didn't know, I somebody I interviewed randomly on my show. And that that got me out of that relationship and got me away from that. But that relationship was just as unhealthy, even though she was a believer, even though she loves the Lord like I do, it was just as unhealthy for me to be in. And I know I was unhealthy for her. That said, that was the experience that helped me see, okay, wait a second. I've tried this all the other ways, and this is not working. I need to be alone. And I could feel in my spirit that the only way that I was going to ever heal is learning to love myself oh, I love start it. start to make oh, loving it. choices for myself. And part of that first step was being alone because I'd never been alone because I didn't trust myself to be alone. I didn't trust myself with my own thoughts. So after that, re- that marriage ended, I got to spend the next year in isolation alone. And that year, I, did I give in and make some mistakes? I did a couple times. But God taught me a lot and you know, I was abstinent with the like those mess ups were a couple you know, I had sex a couple times. Well you said you said um, something
0: in your book. You said I was convinced that God brought her to me so I can finally be me. And that's kind of a twisted kind of thought looking mm-hmm. back, as if, as if God would say, well, here, I'm going to bring you someone so you can do all those twisted debauchery type of things that you want to do, and this person will approve yeah. it. So looking back now, that's kind of a weird thing to say, but it's something that you thought.
1: Well, that was, that was, a, that was the toxic relationship I was in, not the marriage. Oh, okay. Um, but, but that marriage, because I really got to see how mirrors are our relationships are a mirror for ourselves. But that was what convinced me. So there, I really got to hear the voice of God, and he started to give me words and actions that caused me to test my faith. And some of that was doing some pretty wild things. Um, not, not sin, but they were, they were pretty wild and major steps in faith that were risky, to say the least. That said, as my faith grew, I learned to trust his voice. So then he started putting me in situations where I would be tested. I started walking, uh, working private security for celebrities. And so I was around lots of cocaine and I round sex again. And, you know, I was able to protect myself in those situations. I was, I was put on movie sets. I, I remember giving my testimony on set with Kobe Bryant. Um, it was an airline commercial that I had the opportunity to shoot and People, somebody asked me how Gratitude Unfiltered started, so I gave my testimony on set. So God was putting me in these situations to test me, to test my faith, and also test me in situations that were normally triggering. Little by little, I, my trust built with God because he was helping me overcome the things that used to trigger me and knock me off of my path. I started to really understand the fruits of the Spirit.
0: Oh. The fruits
1: of the Spirit gave me the armor that was needed to navigate the world that the Lord wanted me to walk in and now this has been years since that happened or you know years couple years now to see why he put me through those tests has made my faith even more bold and to be honest with you now I'm addicted to finding my triggers because our triggers show us what we get to heal the book the devil inside me the movie the movie is way worse than the book (laughs) um as far as the cuz my vo- you can hear my voice and you can hear the 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 dialogue that's going on internally and the thing about that is that like I know it's triggering for people I know it's going to make people vomit that said I'm not responsible for your triggers god I I prayed about this nonstop and god put it on my heart these triggers are showing what I get to heal. And so I stay true to that. So now I celebrate triggers. I celebrate finding it because that exposes an area that I get to grow in. And I know that that, when I grow in that area, that's going to make me stronger and it's going to make my faith more bold. And more importantly, I know for a fact that we will never receive all that God has available for us unless if we heal all of the wounds of our past. And I want to be everything God created me to be. Wow. So I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen.
0: Amen, brother. And again, um, you know, I I've been around people with similar stories. And um, you know, I, I worked in South Beach for a long time and I, I sold beer for Miller Lite back from 1998 to 2002. And, uh, I, I was, I was just in it. So, and then, uh, I lived in South Florida and it's a hotbed for all the things that you mentioned in your book. And so I I didn't get into some of that stuff. Um, but I heard stories about it and I knew people and it's, it's a whole different world. I mean, some people don't even want to acknowledge that that, Kind of stuff exists in this world, but look, we're in spiritual warfare right now, and not only does it exist, you could say, "Oh yeah, it exists in Hollywood or it exists in South Beach." Guess where else it exists? Every day, Oklahoma. every town, USA. Exactly. You're from Oklahoma, right? <laughs> Small town, USA. Um, it exists in uh, it exists in Washington D.C. And you know, um, I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis, and he says in the Screw Tape letters that um, you know the the real villains and the real devils of this day are the guys who are sitting there clean shaven with white collared shirts. Um, and it's not the villains that we think about in a textbook story or, you know, it's not the devil in red tights. Um, and so what we have to do is we have to go back as we, as we kind of, as we kind of come to an end of this episode, the, the things that everybody can relate to here, we're talking about concepts, guys, again, again, Joshua is an extreme example and like he he just told you he goes he doesn't hold anything back you got to realize though if if God can penetrate his heart um what can he do to you because the the themes might be you know tenfold in, in his book but there's still themes of validation or lack of still themes themes of abandonment themes of physical abuse uh on on expectations, unhealthy expectations, um, love lost and found. So the themes of life, whether on your volume scale it's a one or here it's turned up to the max over here in in Joshua's case, the themes are common to all human beings. And that's why the big thing is the surrender. If you're dealing with something, Joshua, I, I would say, you know, people, there's a difference between surrender and being alone with it and, and getting help, because you don't want someone to say, oh, well, you know, Joshua said surrender and be alone with it, or David on the podcast said surrender and be alone with it. And then they're like, no, what you actually need is help. You need maybe a shepherd, or you need someone to reach out and say, hey, this, this is what's going on. So differentiate between those two things, about asking for help and being shepherded and, and being either alone or surrendering to it.
1: Well, the beautiful thing about surrender is it means you're not alone because you're surrendering it to your creator. You're surrendering it to the person that manufactured your life. It's like, you know, your car breaks down. It's best to go back to the manufacturer, right? So, and and you would trust the manufacturer to repair your car more so than someone down the street. Well, in my case, surrender meant I was allowing God to control of my life. So I never felt alone. Like that was the, I mean, life is a paradox, right? So the irony was I was, every time I would seek out events, I would speak at events. I would, um, you know, when I was surrounded by people, I'd go to parties or when I was in sex clubs or I was at the, you know, club space and leaving at noon, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, like all that crazy stuff. Like I was alone then and I was surrounded by people. I, I was, that was alone. That that was scary. It was surrender that made me feel complete and I wasn't alone anymore. So now, for the first time in my life, I can be alone. And you know what? It took being comfortable being alone for God to put people in my life that belong there. Mm. Yeah. Because I swear to you, I for your audience that's listening now, um, everything bad I did Everything bad I did, everything bad that happened in my life, the minute I gave it to God, surrendered it to God, laid it at his feet, like, thy will be done. I surrender. I surrender this to you. I got to see God use all the bad stuff in my life for good. And you know what? And over time, God has repaired and healed and brought people back into my life that had left when I they saw my monster and now they're coming back and i'm not alone but that it surrender it was surrender that allowed me to never be alone again
0: interesting and i don't
1: know if that really answers your question but that is the most true way well i'm, I'm going to answer that
0: i'm going to ask you a, i think probably the most difficult question and i don't know how to ask this but like you said if we're not being honest with one another and and we're not really being courageous on this podcast who who are we helping and the question I'm gonna okay. ask you is if somebody knows somebody like you, it's it's kind of scary, right? And and yeah. how do like it's almost like there's this fear, like I don't know if I want to be around that person. Can I trust that person? What if what if they aren't who they say they are now? There's a lot of fear and trepidation, um, you know, earning I guess that trust back. So what would you say to somebody out there who is a loved one or a friend or a confidant of somebody who has gone through some heavy duty stuff. um, Is there any advice you can give them on how to treat them or, or, or approach the situation if they're scared to say, geez, I don't know if I want to be around that.
1: The best thing that ever happened to me was having to earn the trust back of the people that I hurt and betrayed. And I, I, because it 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 helped me learn to not take for granted the truth. I learned to be honest in all situations, even when it was brutally uncomfortable. And I've had to be patient and trust that God's timing was better than mine when it came to restoring relationships or healing and so forth. Let people earn the trust. Don't just give it to them. Wow. Because it's, I'm grateful that it took a long time for me to earn trust back because I have an appreciation for it so much. And so I sincerely like, you know, you can love people, but sometimes, you know, you can love people so much that you can get in the way of God doing what God wants to do in their life. So don't let people off easy. You can love them from an arm's distance. You can support them and pray for them, but changing's hard, man. It, it's taken me a lot of time. I wouldn't have trusted me. I can honestly say I'm trust. I can say I'm trustworthy now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, it took me a few years to not slip back into those habits. Um, it, it took time. And, and so I would encourage people just to be patient, love from a distance, but don't just give in immediately. Trust is worthy of being earned.
0: Wow. That's powerful. That's that's great advice. It's a great answer to that question. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Um, You know, as you said, you said it took being alone for God to put the right people into my life. And I directly related to that because I had been trying my way, uh, what we call white knuckling, uh, to find somebody (laughs) and to to do these things. And I've been trying and trying and trying. And finally, sometimes it's, guys, when you're most frustrated, you know, it is often when God comes to you, when you're like, I've tried everything else. And it's almost like he's like, okay, are you ready for me to step in and do it my way? But it does take that full surrender. And for me, it was going out to clubs, and I always I always use this thing. If you're dating and things aren't working out, guys or girls, if you're dating and things aren't working out and your friends tell you, hey, come on out, you know, like, nah, I'm cool. You know, I'm going to stay home. Like, ah, oh, come on, there's so many people here. There's, You're going to get to hook up, or there's a chick here, or there's are party, and we're having a great time. And then you're like, okay, I'll be there in five minutes. But it's the full surrender is when I finally said, no, I'm really good. Like, I'm really going to stay home, and I'm really just going to cook for myself tonight. And it was that surrender where there were some really lonely nights, and I knew my friends were out having a good time, and I knew there was the potential for me to go out and have a good time, but I, I stuck to my guns, and it was finally in that surrender when I least expected it that God put somebody into my life and my wife that totally— change the entire trajectory of everything else. So that's what we're saying. It's Sometimes it's just one person. Maybe it's not a spouse. Maybe it's a friend, or maybe it's a, a former, like you said, Joshua, maybe it's a, a relative or something that comes back into your life that allows you to be who you are supposed to be or turns you on to things that God had waiting for you. So I want to commend you. This is a story of courage. This is a story of of redemption, it's a story of of so much of that, and redemption is defined as the act of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil, and and it's available. And so, I'll 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 leave you this final question. In your book, you said that when you were in prison, and this prison guard handed you this book, you just kept hearing the the term "seek me." Seek me. What, oh, what did that, that was- mean?
1: No, it was after I was on L.A. County. It was after being let out of jail after five days because I was facing five years in prison. Okay, And I got out of jail five days later. And all the promises that I made to God about giving my life to him and only living for him and pursuing him. And, you know, my life is no longer my own. It's yours. All those promises, I promise you, were a lot easier to make when I was behind (laughs) But I met them and then all of a sudden it is here I am free. I'm on the downtown LA going, Oh crap. Now what? Yeah. And I was like, God, what am I supposed to do now? Like I, I know I can see in my mind what you, you want me to do, but where do I start? And I heard him say to me, I heard it seek me. And that was it. And so it just was a reminder of my commitment to a relationship with the Lord. That, those two words were, you made the promise to have a relationship with me, so seek me. And you know what? I've done it every day since. Amen. And I've, my, everything I've lost in my life, with the exception of my twins, everything that I've lost has been restored. And I will see the twins again But I gave up for adoption. they will come back in my life but my oldest daughter's back in my life i have two beautiful daughters now with my amazing wife and my financial situation is greatly turned around um you know we just released a movie that's winning awards at film festivals the devil inside me the book and it's like i'm living the life now that i saw after being molested at seven years old god kept his promises But I kept mine in that I was going to put a relationship with Jesus before everything else. And now I'm, I'm seeing the fruit of all of that. And I don't have a relationship with Jesus because of the fruit that I now have. There was only, there was two options for me. Die and be reborn or just die and be a disappointment and waste everything that I was blessed with. Because I promise you, for anyone that's doubting that they they are blessed or have ever been blessed, all you have to look at is the gift that you've been born with as proof that God has a plan for you. But the thing is that people need to understand is your gifts, the things that you've been blessed with, and even your trauma isn't about you. It's about... Your trauma is actually your fuel... For what you get to use to help make a difference in this world, how you get to contribute. You use your gifts to help other people. We are here to be a blessing to other people. That's why our stories matter, because they show people a way out. And you when you use your gifts to be a blessing to others and you and you sprinkle on your testimony with it, I promise you you are setting yourself up for a life that you'd only dreamed of. Up to that point,
0: well, Joshua, thank you for your testimony first of all, thank you for your courage and just thank you for being able to come on this show and share with us some stuff that I think a lot of people need to hear and so I want to say that I hope God continues to bless you and continue to tell your story and save people and I thank you for being a guest well, and hey I
1: want to, I, I want to say something really really quick yeah um, yeah. I want to thank you and your wife for being an example to me and my wife. Um, you know, we are fans of you guys. I've t- shared this before. Well, I'm you. grateful for our thank friendship, you. but I'm a fan of you too. Thank you. And you especially helped me. You gave me a visual image of what a badass dad is. Um, you love your kids. You love life. You're, you're doing the things that you love to do, that you're gifted at you're making a difference in the world. But your example of being a father has been a blueprint for me and how I am with my two new daughters. And I and I, I want to thank you for that because it's had a greater impact on me than you'll ever
0: know. Oh, brother, I tell you what, nothing means more to me than hearing that because I do love my girls and I love my wife and God has blessed me with something that I could I never imagine, just like he's blessed you um, with with this complete turnaround, and for you to say that to me just made my day, and it makes me know that what we're doing here uh, on this earth uh, has ripples, and yeah. and 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 we're touching people's lives. So that's all we can ask for to do His work. So I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, and I appreciate you. Keep, I appreciate you, brother. Keep doing your thing, my friend. We'll see you guys next time on the Turned On Podcast.
1: God bless.